Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So joining myself today is Jane Johnson, who is the head of PHM Analytics for NHS Surrey Heartlands and is also an executive director for AFA, for Membership Services. Jane is passionate about data quality and IG as foundational building blocks and also the importance of getting this right. So welcome, Jane. Really delighted to have you join AMX Speaker Podcast. Thank you. Hi, John. And Jane, on with the most important question we always ask our uh, interviewees is what, what's your favourite sort of tea of your tea or coffee drinker and what's your favourite cake? Um, tea, very much tea from first thing in the morning to last thing at night. And my favourite cake is a custard slice, which is the most impossible cake, whether you bite it or try to cut it, it goes everywhere, but it's well worth it. But more so it goes in the, in the heat now. Yes. Think, yeah. <laughs> great, great choice. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's really brilliant. So Jane, as I mentioned with Fika, we're really trying to obviously uh, hear about different leaders in business data analytics, like uh, their career journey to date. And I know our listeners are really keen to hear about your career journey, you know, where you started and any key insights that you've picked up along the way, um, we should be able to share with our listeners. So would you be able to sort of run us through where, where you kind of sort of started off from? Yeah, certainly. So um, I certainly didn't start out in the NHS. I've been in it 30 years now. But uh, and I didn't actually even know that the job of a, an analyst, a healthcare analyst, existed. I saw it advertised in the local paper and uh, applied and I got the job because I knew what a spreadsheet was. And 30 years ago, not many people knew what spreadsheets were, but, you know, it got me the job. And that was it, uh, yoga hospital, acute hospital. And I just found it so interesting working with healthcare data. Um, and I've just stuck with it ever since. And where did you go then from from Yeovil then? How did you where did you move in from from Yeovil? Where did you move from there? Um, well, I did Yeovil. I was there for twenty three odd years. I started oh. out as a baby analyst, and worked my way up to heading up the information and performance teams. Um, and an opportunity came out for voluntary redundancy, and I thought I've been in acute all this time, so I took it because I wanted to see if I could expand. Uh, expand myself, expand my knowledge, expand what I was covering. And as soon as I took the redundancy, I panicked and thought, oh, no, what am I going to do? What if I don't get another job? But as it happened, um, the Mental Health Trust in Somerset, uh, somebody contacted me from there. They'd heard I'd been made redundant and offered me a role. So I went to mental health um, from there, I was invited into Somerset CCG. So that's the first time on the commissioning side. And it was actually quite an eye opener because when you're working 
in provider land, you get very annoyed with commissioners constantly asking you for stuff and you're thinking there's a hospital here that needs to run. But once you get into the commissioning side, you think, oh, I understand now why we need all this data because NHSE is on our back or whatever. There's a big chain there, you know, a big chain of command. Um, then I went over to Dorset, the mental health and community providers. From there, I went to Surrey Downs, which was the CCG within the now Surrey Heartlands system. Then up to Gloucester CCG. And that's where I got really involved in population health management up there. And from Gloucester, um, when that contract, I was interiming basically, when that contract came to an end, uh, a role came up in Surrey Downs, which was actually my fourth role in Surrey. And I've been with them now since and through the, the move over into Surrey Heartland CCG and then ICS. Incredible, incredible journey, isn't it? Of seeing that that whole sort of whole system view, but from even from we say at the beginning, from spreadsheets to PHM, seeing that whole thing evolve over time. Amazing insights, and thanks for sharing that with us. And and Jane, you mentioned when we spoke as well about your new role of, of head of PHM analytics, NHS Surrey Heartlands. What would be really interesting in sort of what would you, what do you think are the sort of the key differences from an analytical standpoint in supporting? Should we say uh, an ICS place based PCNs as opposed to a CCG? What sort of different analytics? Uh, what, what, the answer is obviously going to be different. What do you see as some, some of the biggest differences? So, I suppose that when we were doing analytics for the CCG, it was all about um, cost saving, not necessarily about the right care in the right place to. To make that difference and you'd have things like oh can we reduce a and e attendances by 10 percent which is great but you can't reduce 10 percent of road traffic accidents how do you affect 10 percent of people falling off ladders how do you stop 10 percent of the drunks falling off their bar stools on saturday night you can't you know how do you you've already taken out a huge chunk of the people that are going to a and e so the only way we can really make a difference is to get to people um, that are going in for conditions that are maybe preventable, something where we can make a difference at the start, looking more at the prevention side of things and focusing on where to put the resource. So looking at who's impactable within a population. And I think that is the big difference to, between what we used to do analysis wise for CCGs. Um, and the PHM that we now do for systems. And also, we're looking at the whole pathway. We don't want to just do a bit of analysis to reduce um, delayed discharges in hospitals, because that's going to have a knock-on effect on the social care on the other side. We don't want to be shifting the pressures around the system. And again, working as a system, that's that's one of the main differences. You're not going to be shifting those pressures. You're going to be looking at the resource across the system and putting it where it is most needed and where it's best needed to impact those populations to improve their health and well-being. Is it more of that kind of that that sort of system view and load balancing what system can take more effectively and optimising it, I suppose? Yeah. It, it is, yes. From from a system point of view, there are certain services that will run better as a system, but each each place, each PCN have their own local nuances. And that's where you have to really involve 
um, some of the clinical teams and the, the frontline teams out there because they might have differences. They might have ideas, you know, gut feelings of, of areas that are that, that are issues. So they can point you to where they think possibly you need to put in resource and you can use your analysis at that point to uh, prove or disprove and say, well, actually, yes, and we've looked at this cohort, especially when we're looking at health inequalities now, making sure that, that we're keeping that balance too. Um, and it will it will vary in, in different areas because things like deprivation are so wildly different. You know, there's pockets of Surrey that are very, very affluent, as you would imagine, uh, but we also have quite, you know, areas of high deprivation. So it's making sure we're taking all that into account. It's all that wider determinant stuff that we need to take into account, looking at um, the deprivation, looking at education, housing, etc. So bringing in all that data and working with the wider system partners to bring in all the wider determinants in doing your analysis. Um, and then you can come out with some you know, smaller lists down to PCN level to say, right, this this is your cohort of patients. These are the ones. Get your MDT on the phone, get out there, put in the interventions. And then hopefully these are the sort of people we will will stop the admissions. So where we have to cut down AME attendances, cut down emergency admissions, we can do that through direct care and putting in the interventions, but ideally moving forward with population health, we want to identify people before they get to that stage at all and put services in place to prevent the deteriorations in the first place. Very different sort of steer than what's previous, a different way. That needs like nicely on to sort of my next question. Obviously, that's unique insights and become very tactical in defining those cohorts and what work or what sort of interventions could take place. What sort of data analytics skills do you think then are really vital then going forward that you, you need then to support that? Um, so I think the um, the basic analytical skills, I think there's an awful lot of uh, pressure on people sometimes now to be very technical and there is a degree absolutely of data science that's required you know because we will be moving towards things like ai but the the basic analysis that drives all these all these organizations drives these systems the bread and butter analysis i think an analytical brain um can be more important sometimes than the technical skills you know people you can send them off on a course and they can learn technical skills but to have that intuition, that analytical intuition, um, I remember once we we were advertising for an, an analyst and one of the tests we set them was we just gave them a bunch of data and said, tell us what you find. And it was, you know, it was Excel. Do it how you want. Here's an Excel flat file. The ones that were true analytical brains spotted straight away, you might call it common sense, that the maternity data we'd given them, you know, we had men, we had 94-year-olds, and it was just, well, this doesn't make sense because we're talking about births here. So, but the, the ones that were really techie came out with some amazing graphs and amazing forecasts, but 
actually they didn't notice some of the the common sense things or just getting a feel for the data. And I think sometimes there is just something about that that inbuilt ability to analyse and to see things and just know when they look at a figure, you know, that just doesn't look right instead of blindly believing the science um, and taking the word for it. Being able to say no to people when they come up with ridiculous requests, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of my analytical colleagues will understand, and we do get a lot of that. Um, and also it's the visualisation and being able to get across what you are presenting to the customer, as it were. So the soft skills are very important. The communication skills are very important. I think we need to lose the geeky image that, you know, everybody's sitting in a little darkened room. Well, we maybe we are, but we need to get out more and talk to the people that are making the requests and actually really getting to the bottom of what it is they're aiming to do and ensuring that uh, we put the visualisations across, whether it's, you know, in graphs, whether it's in reports, whether it's in tables, just getting it right. And being able to turn around and tell them no when you get ridiculous requests through, because that happens a lot as well. Or one of the common ones we used to get was, this is the answer I want. Now do the analysis behind it. You know, you've got to be able to turn around to these people and say, well, no, because actually that's not the case. Um, so, yeah, analytical skills, having that headset that sees things. And being able to present it, talk to people and get across the softer skills of explaining so they understand exactly what it is they have and what the results are telling them. Great advice. And it's that curiosity, isn't it? That question and, and coming mm. with that those sort of soft skills. No, thanks for sharing that. And also mentioned as well that you had, obviously, Jane, the experience and coverage across both from a provider perspective, commissioner, and also in the community. You know, having that wider experience, how has that helped you? And why would you feel it's important for us to have that kind of rounded experience and perspective? Yeah, I kind of um, touched on that at the beginning, but in the acute, I think working in a hospital, you're, the pressures on you are coming very much from clinical teams, frontline clinical teams. You've got consultants, you've got A&E or ED, um, you've got the the matrons, they're all, we have a crisis now, we have this, we've got bed issues. Can you tell us how are we going to get through the day? What, what can you give us to plan for the rest of the week? Uh, or there might be something that's come through from clinical governance, the, a complaint's been made and we need to understand a little bit of history of the background of certain things. And it's all very this is needed now. You know, you, you walk around the corridors in the CCG and everybody's just sort of like, you know, shuffling along and enjoying themselves, getting a cup of tea. You walk around the corridors in the hospital and you're constantly dodging out of the way because there's crash teams running past. Everything's a lot more urgent. So when you get back to your desk and the CCG says, well, well, you haven't had these RTT weights and we need them, you think, oh, seriously, you know, we've got a crisis in our departments here, there. Um, I need to support the clinical teams. And sometimes it, it gets to you. But then once you get into the CCG, you do get a different perspective. You think, actually, 
we're in we're trying to control the money we're trying to make sure you get the money you need to run it and we can't do it unless we have this information uh so you do feel you you start to get that different perspective i think it's very useful having that perspective because it was it enabled me to talk to the providers on a more reasonable basis as it were because i got where they were coming from and I understood their pressures, so I could maybe come across in a, I don't know, a better way to to get what we needed. Um, and also, when you're in a CCG, you've got NHSE on your back wanting stuff. And I expect, you know, if I went to NHSE, I might find the same thing. I might think, oh yes, I understand now. There's there's always that, you know, that that downward flow of of what's needed. Um, so I think it definitely works. It, it it does help having worked across both the provider and the commissioning organisations. Putting yourself in their shoes and seeing the kind of the challenges really helps. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Jane, when we spoke, you, you mentioned as well, I think you, you said you, you built a, a new analytical community uh, of practice uh, in Surrey. Really interested to hear what's the what was the driver behind that and, and how did you do it? Um, the driver from that, really, it, I suppose, again, it comes back from uh, having started out in provider organisations. You're quite insular as, as analytical teams and you you know all the statutory returns and all the national returns have to be done and what the CCGs need, etc. And then you do the work inside the hospital for, you know, for your clinical teams, um, operational leads, etc. But That you you don't know what's going on in the bigger system. A lot of that information doesn't feed down. We've all seen those letters sometime, probably a year later, that says two trust executives, CEOs, all this kind of stuff, and it never gets to you. So I thought, from the commissioning point of view, you do you are um, very much more open to a lot of the things that are happening nationally, and they it's fed back to you, you're more aware of what's going on. So I decided to set up a community with all the analysts across the system. It was mainly driven because of the PHN journey. I wanted them to understand, because especially if we're talking about central uh, system-wide intelligence functions, when these jobs started getting advertised, I want all the analysts in the community to know, you know what, what it is. So I just emailed all the analysts I knew in the system. I, think I started out with about 30 and just asked them to disseminate. So we've got analytical members from commissioning organisations, from providers, mental health, community, acute, um, public health from the county council, from district and boroughs, police, uh, all the, the, the CCGs, um, primary care. So we have a whole load of analysts from across the system and we just use this to give a more understanding of what's happening, what's happening across the system. So because they're all part of it and it's all affecting their lives and they might not necessarily know. So I think the first meeting we just spent introducing each other. Everybody just introduced themselves. This is what I do. This is where I work. We had a session on our data strategy because it's all about linking, uh, you know, getting linked longitudinal records for system-wide planning and analysis. 
So we had a session on that. I did a session on PHM, just what it what it is. And it was quite a lot of people on there that never really had that much understanding of PHM. Um, we've had knowledge sharing, so show and tells, as it were, with analysts showing work that they have done on PHM at APCN level. We've had uh, we had Sam Riley's team came in and did a session for us on statistical process control. We've had uh, Dan Isaac, who leads on data visualization at University of Exeter. He came in and did a session for us on data visualization. As part of our system-wide looking at the intelligence functions, we're also going to be doing a skills audit across the system. And again, we had NHSE uh, came in and did a session for us because they're facilitating the, the whole audit just to tell all the analysts this is what's going to be happening. So when your team leaders, et cetera, start asking questions, this is this is where it's coming from, this is where it's feeding back to. So we just have it once a month uh, and it's growing. You know, we've got we've got over 100 members now. We've got uh, Surrey County Council are going to do a session for us coming up on things like fingertips data and Surrey Eye, which is one of their public facing platforms. Just so, again, analysts across the system get an idea of where they can pull information from. And as we go forward with PHM, we can start doing the nitty gritty sharing code. You know, how did you solve this one? Actually, I've got a, done a dashboard for this. You don't need to do it again. I mean, we do have assurance groups and, you know, uh, various meetings working through for the delivery of PHM. So those sort of things will be picked up. But it's just nice for the analysts to have that. And we've got our own hub. So everything's recorded, all the sessions are recorded, and they can go back and look at any time, pick up the slides and links to, you know, things like the Fuller Report or Ben Goldacre Review, anything of interest to analysts. And it's also, I suppose, equally good for new analysts coming on board from an induction perspective because it's quite a complex system. So the great onboarding, I would imagine, would be fantastic. Great Absolutely, repository yes. of intelligence, yeah. And Jane, finally, just sort of thinking about, you know, obviously, what's been your strategy for overcoming failure? What, what advice would you give to some of our, our listeners? Talking to everyone, we need to we need to make sure everybody is on board. Uh, I think in healthcare, we are very focused on healthcare, and we're now an integrated system. And I think we forget sometimes that there's all the social care side. And I think that the people's health and well-being is affected more by social care elements than it is by health care elements. Although 80% uh, of the data and stuff we deal with is health care and the main work is done within health care. So I think... Uh, as with my analytical community, we've involved social care and public health right from the beginning. Job descriptions, I'm not, you know, head of PHM analytics for the CCG. I am for the system. Uh, my line manager, his role is joint director for BI across health and social care. Trying to make sure it's all inclusive. So our data strategy, looking at our integrated data platform. That is um, the, the stakeholders' writing strategy include 
the the health and the social care side and we've also brought in some of the widest uh, wider partners, wider sister partners, such as district and boroughs and police. So though at the moment, because of IG and, and other things, they can't necessarily get to the data, we need to make sure that they're fully involved in the strategy. And as we do move forward and we move forward with the IG, you know, we can, we're in a place to bring people in and, and they've been kept on board the whole time. It's that feeling of inclusion, I think, is uh, very key. Great advice, I think yes, that, that whole system view, isn't it? The inclusion is fantastic. Oh, Jane, thank you very much for that. It was fascinating. Thanks for sharing your journey. I think it was really fascinating just to hear about the entry of, of, from spreadsheets to today, which PHM is a fascinating journey. Also, from what you're saying about the difference between the CCGs and we're moving into ICBs and ICSs of kind of moving away from cost source savings analysis to around impactability and prevention and load balancing the system and that real whole holistic system view. And then you mentioned as well about, you know, analysts keeping up their, their sort of skills and what's needed for the future, that curiosity and that questioning, but also the questioning of, you know, what are you asking that, that analysis for and being a bit more, should we say, assertive, I should say, that's the only word I can say, or pushing back a bit because people ask things that may be done already and, and make sure that what the analysis is, is adding real value. But also, those soft skills about how you communicate stuff along goes an awful long way. And then you also mentioned, I think, was really good about that community of practice. I think, you know, a call out to everybody who's listening just to say, you know, there's nothing stopping people setting up their own community of practice. It's fantastic. We have what you just outlined as well. We also have analyst X, but also it's that ability to, to enable to get to know everybody in your system. It's really great networking, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I suppose um, also that ability for mobility, for workforce mobility and opportunities that come up, you know, from primary care, social care, into the community and back into your acute. So there's a whole fluidity that it supports. So I'd encourage people to start thinking about where is their community of practice, if not set one up. And then I think finally just saying about, you know, overcoming failure, you know, include everybody, give them a view, give them a system view, start looking at the analysis and, and, and empower that. So a yeah, really, really fascinating insight and thanks for sharing those with us. And, you know, on top of what we spoke earlier before we started recording this, you're a very busy, busy life as such. How do you, if you get any chance outside of PHM, Jane, to relax? What do you do to relax? Um, I read a lot. Yeah. Uh, just about every night. That's the last thing I do before I go to sleep. It just switches my mind off work, empties my brain, albeit it's usually detective murder stuff and grim and gruesome. But, you know... <laughs> It um yeah, it relaxes me. <laughs> and travel. I love travel. I'm very fortunate that I've got friends dotted all over the globe and I've got lots of opportunity to travel and sailing I enjoy as well. That's one of my one of my things. So when I get the opportunities there, preferably while I'm traveling, you know, in a nice hot country somewhere. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, no, thanks for, for joining us and thanks for sharing your insights. It's been fascinating. Uh, and, and for anybody who wants to follow you, Jane, uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn, is it? I think your Twitter is at Jane Johnson NHS. Is that right? It is, yes. Yeah. Johnston without an E. Great, fantastic. Thank you. And thanks for sharing uh, everything with us. Really great. And we have to hopefully get you on board uh, later down when you've uh, more involved different sort of services and such with the ICSs and the sort of needs for the economy. But no, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future.